Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. Here's the central question. Are we headed toward a long-term care crisis? Based on my research, I would have to say yes. That's Tara O'Neill-Hayes, AAF's Director of Human Welfare Policy. Today, she'll be joining me, Andrew Evans, your host, to discuss the looming crisis of long-term care. We'll talk about what's driving this crisis, as well as proposals like Bernie Care that seek to address it. Tara, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thanks so much for having me here. Let's just start with the basics. What is long-term care? That descriptor can be somewhat misleading. Long-term care is less about how long your care is needed and more about the type of care that you're receiving. Typically, this is assistance with what we call activities of daily living. There are six basic ADLs. Those are bathing, getting dressed, using the bathroom, moving oneself, say, out of bed or to the couch, eating, and continence. There also are what some refer to as instrumental ADLs, and those are things like meal preparation, household chores, paying your bills, things like that. Not really healthcare, um, but still things that people need to do every day really to live. Give me a sense of sort of the scale that we're talking about here. How many people need long-term care? So the estimates are rough, but today we're looking at, um, in the U.S., somewhere between 14 and 15 million. You know, there have been a lot of reports about how the U.S. population is growing older, um, you know, demographic shifts, baby boomer generation, things like that. What does this, this demographic change mean for the demand for long-term care going forward? By 2050, the population over 65 will double and the population over 85 will triple. Um, of course, once you start getting into that age range over 85, you're much more likely to need long-term care. Um, further, when you think about the health um, condition of the elderly and just uh, American adults, um, you know, the prevalence of people with multiple chronic conditions is certainly increasing. And the more chronic conditions you have, the more likely you are to need long-term care. Sure. And, and just to be sort of like clear about this, like that's in a lot of ways, that's, that's a really good thing, right? I mean, over the last two or three decades, we've seen life expectancy go up because of modern medicine and, and new care, uh, treatments and, and cures for de- diseases and things like that, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think it is great that people are living longer, but with that, of, co- of course, comes new challenges. Um, and so by 2050, we expect the number of people needing long-term care to double. So that, this seems like part of what's driving this crisis that we mentioned. Uh, demand is going up significantly for long-term care. Absolutely. So when I think of long-term care, just sort of trying to, to think about what it looks like, I think of a person in some sort of facility getting professional help. Is this what long-term care typically looks like? It can be, and certainly for some, absolutely it is. Um, For most, though, care is being provided by family members and loved ones who have no professional training. Um, Oftentimes, they either are living nearby or possibly even moving in with the person who needs care. Do we have any sense for how much long-term care in the United States is provided without any pay? So an estimated 26 to 40 million people provide between 16 and 24 hours of care per week on average, which results in about somewhere between 27 and 41 billion hours of care per year being provided by family members unpaid. 
So just looking at the at the numbers that you were talking about earlier, there are you said you know, 14 to 15 million people who need care, an estimated right now. But we have 26 to 40 million people actually providing that care unpaid. That doesn't account for paid workers. So there are unpaid care or long-term care rather. It seems needs a lot more people to provide the care than actually are receiving the care. Right. I think what you're seeing, particularly um, with the care that's being provided by family members unpaid, um, the numbers tell us that for each person who needs care, there's probably at least two, possibly three people providing um, that care to them. So maybe, you know, the spouse is providing a couple hours of care each week to the extent that he or she can. And then maybe a child, um, you know, maybe it's for their parent. And then maybe, you know, one of their siblings then jumps in um, on the weekend to help out. And so it's, you know, really a team effort. Why Why do so many people provide it for free? Well, I think multiple reasons. One, we are talking about the care of our loved ones, you know, your, your parents. And so probably to some extent there is an emotional aspect to it. You want to take care of your parents. Maybe you feel obligated. You know, they cared for you for many years of your life. Um, and so now maybe you feel like you owe that to them in return. Um, and then, of course, I think there's an economic aspect. Um, long-term care can be quite expensive. We don't have good options for long-term care insurance. Um, and so there's a lot of people who really if they were to pay for care, they're just paying for it out of pocket. Um, and it can really add up and become quite expensive. So from an economic standpoint, I think a lot of people feel like the best option for their family is just, you know, to, to take turns, tag team, providing providing care, you know, by family members for free. Yeah. And like you said, that requires a, a, a lot of people. So it seems like the next part of the crisis, we have, we have demand uh, which we which we just talked about, and then there just aren't enough caregivers. So is that is that what you're seeing in terms of, of the crisis of long term care? Exactly. Um, like I said, most care providers are the children of people needing care, um, but there are many fewer children than there are baby boomers. Um, you know, they didn't have as many children as their parents had had, um, and so you're really going to start getting into a supply and demand issue here. The population aged 64 and younger will grow by only 12 percent by 2050, whereas I mentioned um, the population 65 and older is going to double. And so there's a drastic difference there. Um, and so th- there's going to be f- many fewer people available to provide that care. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge discrepancy. I want to talk for a little bit about the cost of long-term care. What, what makes it so expensive? So the costs vary by the type of care that you're receiving um, for the various types of paid care, which I think most well-known is um, nursing home care. That is absolutely the most expensive. Um, and it kind of makes sense when you think about what that means. Someone staying in a nursing home, the cost includes basically your rent, like you're, you're living there. And so it's your room and board. Um, typically, you get all of your meals, three meals a day included, so it's your food costs. And then, you know, oftentimes there's activities, you know, little exercise classes or coloring, knitting, bingo, whatever it might be. Um, and so there's, you know, those kind of social costs. And then, of course, on staff, you have medical personnel. You have nurses. Um, typically, you have a doctor on call. And so all of those, um, you know, labor costs also 
are included. And so it, it really can add up. You mentioned supply and demand a minute ago. And there, there seems to be, as I'm trying to conceptualize this, something of a, a market problem here. Typically, if there isn't enough supply of something, and here we're talking about caregivers and just not being enough of them, then the price rises for that for that product, for that commodity, for, for whatever, and until enough people uh, or supply comes into the market. So the, the price serves as a signal. The flip side, of course, is that if the cost is uh, so high, which it seems to be now, then supply comes into the market until the price drops. Why are we why are we not seeing that here? It's a good question, and it's unclear. Um, there's significant market churn among paid care providers, estimated between 45 and 66 percent per year. Um, and why is that? Um, really good question. I think part of it is because wages are low. The um, work that you're doing is difficult. Both, you know, it can be physically demanding. You're helping move people out of bed and, you know, to the toilet. You're helping people go to the bathroom. It's not very glamorous work. You're bathing older people. Um, But why are their costs, why are their wages low? And, you know, that's a good question, too. This is, I'm speculating here, but possibly it's because their competition is free labor. You know, like I said, most of the care provided is provided for free. And so, when you're competing against, you know, either people are going to pay someone to provide the care or they can do it themselves, they're probably not willing to spend a lot of money. I mean, that's that I think that's really what the numbers are indicating. There's not a lot of money to be paid by these families. And so you end up with a lower wage. So you mentioned this turnover and I'm trying to just to imagine how that would how that would work, especially for an elderly person, and what it would be like. It seems like if you're having people doing these these things for you in your house, in your life, and there's this constant turnover, that could be just really hard. Absolutely. It's something I really worry about, um, what that experience is like for the elderly person receiving care. I can only imagine if I say every couple months, every six months or a year, I have someone new coming into my house especially when they're providing such intimate levels of care, getting dressed, going to the bathroom, bathing. Um, I know I certainly <laughs> wouldn't want that type of care being provided by someone who feels like a stranger. Um, and so I'm, sh- I'm sure it makes it hard for them. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned insurance a couple minutes ago. And as I think about this, it seems like this is sort of an ideal situation for insurance. Not everybody needs long-term care. It's a risk that everybody has as they grow older. So why don't we have you know a decent long-term insurance option or, or a decent market for that? Yeah. So over time, um, you know, there used to be more insurers in the market providing this type of care, and many of those insurers have dropped out of the market. I think there is significant risk. It's hard to know how long someone might need care. Um, Like you said, life expectancy is increasing. And so with that, you know, become increasing expected years of care needed. And so with those costs really adding up, particularly if people are moving into nursing homes because they don't have a family member to take care of them, you know, those costs just get really expensive. And so for whatever reason, it seems 
the insurance market has not really found a decent way to mitigate those risks, and they've left the market. Could the government just take over the cost of long-term care, for example, roll it into Medicare? So, possibly. I mean, in fact, the government actually already pays for a significant chunk of long-term care because roughly roughly a third is paid by Medicaid. Long-term care actually accounts for about half of Medicaid's budget, which of course is a federal state program with the federal government paying um, close to two-thirds, 60% or so of, of the cost of the Medicaid program. So the federal government already is picking up a large chunk of the cost. Um, most long-term care costs actually, though, are paid out of pocket, about 53%. And oftentimes what happens is people spend, spend and spend and spend out of pocket, and eventually they basically make themselves poor enough that they become eligible for Medicaid, which is what results in Medicaid ending up um, covering so much of those costs. So what we've been talking about here with uh, the cost of long-term care seems to be the final part of the long-term care crisis, sort of what's what's driving this crisis. We have rising demand, we have few caregivers, and the cost is so high that few people can afford it. So when can we expect this crisis to hit? What, what kind of time frame are we looking at? For many, I think the crisis is already here. Um, there are, you know, like we talked about, there's roughly 40 million people providing care for free. Many of those people also are working full-time jobs, and many of them also have children of their own that they're caring for. Um, I think a lot of people refer to this as the sandwich generation. You know, you're you're taking care of people, both your parents and your children, um, and having to work. We know that most families now really need two incomes in order to get by. And so I, for a lot of people, they feel the crisis is already here. They're really being pinched. Um, but then going forward, it's only going to get worse over the next 10, 20, 30 years as the baby boomers, you know, start to age and, you know, their health declines. It's we're certainly not at the peak, despite the fact that we're already um, having so many people feel such a crunch. So it seems like if this is getting a lot worse, then there's going to be a lot more political pressure to do stuff for it. Do you do you, you know, anticipate any sort of of. Um, of responses, you know, how, how do you see this playing out in the in the political sphere? So to date, um, well, I'll admit, um, going back to the Affordable Care Act, which was passed almost 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years um, this month. Yeah, exactly. Um, included in the ACA was the Class Act. And that was something that was supposed to provide a long-term care benefit to people Um, But Congress included a provision that it could only be implemented if the actuaries could model and find a way to price this insurance, um, which would be government provided, price it at a way that it would be actuarially sound, fiscally sustainable. And essentially, multiple different government agencies were unable to find a way to do that primarily because they assumed they couldn't find a way where they could price it low enough that people who were unlikely to need very expensive and long, long-term care <laughs> would actually buy. Um, and so then, you know, you were going to end up in a situation where 
pretty much everyone who bought was definitely going to need many years of care, just knowing their own health conditions. Um, and so it was going to become very expensive and you wouldn't have enough premiums to cover the payouts. Um, so we've tried this once before from a government, you know, to provide a government option. Um, and it, like I said, was not, we weren't able to move forward with that plan. Um, there are several uh, current Democratic uh, presidential candidates who have put forward a handful of proposals, um, primarily Senator Sanders, um, as well as Senator Warren, both in their Medicare for All plans. They say that they would cover long-term care. They have not really detailed how they would pay for that, at least not um, to any significant degree and <laughs> level of detail. Um, my estimates over the next 10 years, 2021 to 2030, and this is a mid-range estimate, is that that 10-year cost would be $13.7 trillion. And so given the estimates for Senator Sanders, Medicare for All, that already exists, that place the cost of that plan at about $32 trillion, that's not including the cost of long-term care. So when you add in that 13.7, you're looking at really about $46 trillion over the next 10 years to provide all of the health care that he's promising. So and this so, one provision would add 50% to the cost of universal health care, socialized health care. Nearly, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's going to be quite expensive, and it's hard to imagine the level of taxes that we would need to implement in, in order to pay for that. So it really is quite a challenge. But they're not the only ones who've put out ideas for long-term care, right? Correct. Former Mayor Pete Buttigieg, of course, has just recently dropped out, but during his campaign, he proposed establishing a new federal long-term care program, which would provide eligible individuals with a $90 per day benefit um, and also hope to strengthen the private long-term care market to try and bring private insurers back into that market. Um, as well as a few other things. And then Senator Klobuchar also proposed providing a refundable tax credit for long-term care expenses, um, which would cover 20% of your long-term care insurance premiums, as well as a tax credit for family care providers um, and efforts to improve job conditions for long-term care workers. So there certainly are a number of ideas on the table. On the one hand, I don't know that any of them really are quite sufficient. On the other hand, anything that is sufficient, I don't know how you would pay for it. <laughs> so um, it's quite the pickle, and I don't really know what the best option is. Sounds like a really difficult, difficult policy. Well, thank you so much, Tara, for breaking this down for us, for explaining this you know, paradox of a policy challenge, if you will. For the last part of our podcast, I'd like to turn to a to a slightly more personal issue, in a, in a sense. Often we do this at the end of our podcasts. You recently started a new position here at the American Action Forum. You are the director of human welfare policy. Can you tell us what are you what are you doing in that job? Yes, I'm quite excited. So in my previous role. Uh, for the past five years here at the American Action Forum, I was working in health policy. And so in this new role, it really gives me an opportunity to expand beyond healthcare to study other aspects um, that influence people's health and economic well-being. So that could be anything from 
their housing situation, to their access to nutritious food, to the physical environment that they're living in, their education, et cetera. Can you give us a, uh, an example of a project you've been working on recently under this position? Yeah, so one of the first things that I've been asked to study, it's kind of a new angle um, of the paid family leave conversation, something new to, to study in that area, and that is looking at the benefits provided to children when their parents are able to stay home with them for a sufficient amount of time after they're born. Um, Do we see long-term benefits in their education? What the research might show, how long-term it might be, but say their economic, um, you know, success later in in life. Very good. Well, we look forward to seeing that research come out. Uh, We're also thankful for your research on long-term care. We'll be sure to include a link to that in the show notes. You have a very great knack for being able to, to pinpoint and highlight and explain the, the, the real challenges that we're facing in our policy. So thanks so much, Tara. Yeah, thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.